This is the word of the Lord from Genesis 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. And after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that he had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong be done done to me on you. I gave you my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that he, she had conceived, she looked at me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. And the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly, I have seen him who looks after me, Therefore, the well was called Berloiroi, and it is between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of the son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old, and Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you for your word and for its timeless truths. God, thank you that you redeem all things, even times that it seems unredeemable. And God, uh, thank you that we can listen freely to your word this morning. God, pray that you would speak through Ryan. Pray that his words would be your words. Pray that your name would be glorified. And pray this in the name, the powerful name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Bill. So the book of Genesis, as we've said, uh, is uh, incredibly honest. Uh, it's not about a group of people who knock it out of the park and set just a tremendous example because of their workspace righteousness for us. It's their faith that's the example for us, right? That's what the book of Hebrews talks about. Um, and and it's, it's really about this father and his love who doesn't let us go like we sang about this morning. Um, but I don't know about you, the, the mess that we sometimes find ourselves in has a way of convincing us that he no longer sees us, that he no longer hears us anymore. I've had three different encounters this week that have confronted this notion 
with me. Two of them were in person, and one of them was, was as I was praying this week, where God is showing me that he sees us and he hears us. I, I was talking with a family in our church that adopted a son from um, a, a Bulgarian orphanage. And this is a place, this son has disabilities, and this is a, this is a place uh, in particular where with, with, with children with disabilities are not seen as human. They're seen as less than human. A place where the only expectation is to just keep the child alive. And we're there in our missional community, and I'm watching this little boy play around with the feeding tube uh, in his face because he, he, he's not able to feed himself, uh, or he's not able to take food because it was such a traumatic experience for him to eat because he was so neglected. And I'm sitting here watching this, and I'm, we're, we're uh, working through this with their family and trying to come alongside them. And we hear that he was in a crib for 22 hours a day when he was in Bulgaria. And I look at what God is doing in his life now, and even as hard as it is, I'm reminded that God sees and God hears. I was praying a day later with our elders about another young adopted girl in our church, um, She's, she's from China, and she was also in an orphanage. And uh, she has to have all of these surgeries. And uh, in all likelihood, she was seen as the same way as the young man in Bulgaria, in that orphanage. And I just wept as I prayed as she has to endure another surgery to just try to get some sense of normalcy in her life because of the neglect that took place in her life. And I'm reminded that God sees and God hears. Last night, kids in our neighborhood were at our house. We have, we've just kind of made it our aim to be the house that the kids want to come to. Um, and we invited them to stay for dinner last night. And as we were wrapping up, I was getting ready to close the garage door. We'd gotten all of the debris out of the yard. And um, I said, hey, thanks for coming over, Eris. It's a neighborhood kid. And she, she looked at me, she stopped, and she looked at me, and she said, you know my name? I said, yes, of course, it's a great name. And she said, uh, most people don't remember my name. And I thought, God sees and God hears. So I don't know where you're coming in at today, but the thrust of this passage that we are looking at today really centers on Hagar. And some of you have a story that's similar to Hagar's story in here. And I want you to be reminded that God sees and God hears. Jesus saw and Jesus heard when he roamed the streets of this world, didn't he? You remember that time where Jesus was preaching in a house in Capernaum? Just had started his public ministry. And there was this occurrence that happened as he's preaching in this house, and the thatch roof begins to open up and debris begins to fall on their heads. And then four buddies start lowering this paralyzed guy down through the ceiling. And Jesus stops his sermon and he addresses the man who's seen as less than human at this day. And he addresses his physical needs. And he addresses his spiritual needs because Jesus sees 
and Jesus hears. Today, we're introduced to this new character in the life and legacy of Abram, Hagar, the Egyptian servant of Sarah. Do you remember how Hagar got into Abram's family? It was through Abram's sin, who went, sinfully went down to Egypt to look for security. And then he was awarded all of these gifts and all of these servants. And the Pharaoh said, take them with you. That's how Hagar got into Abram's family. No matter what sin we cause or don't cause or happens to us or doesn't happen to us, but it affects us, I want you to know this, and this is our big idea today. We follow a God who sees even when other people don't see. Now, the hope of the Spirit in us is that because God sees and we know God through faith, that now we see. That's the hope. That's where we want the Lord Jesus to take us to. So we're going to dig in. i got three points here. Um, the first one is this, and we're going to look at Genesis 16, verses 1 through 6. When our problems become bigger than our God, it is impossible to walk by faith. This is, this is what happens with Abram and Sarah here. Let me read it again for you just to remind you. Verse 1. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children, so now go into my servant, that, I, that, it may be, that, that it may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. That's key. And uh, so after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, that's another key, they 10 years on this journey, Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, when Sarah saw that Hagar had conceived, then Hagar looked at Sarah with contempt. And Sarah said to Abram, she blames it on him, may the wrong that, that done to me be on you. I gave my servant for you to embrace. And when she saw that she conceived, she looked at me with contempt. And may the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarah, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Basically giving her the green light to abuse her. Then Sarah dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. So what's the problem here? Well, in Sarah's mind, there is something very wrong with her. God is not seeing her. He is not hearing her. In this culture, especially, I would say this, Sarah is kind of subhuman. She's not the full image of God. Because women were, if women could not bear children, there was something desperately wrong with them. So she's dealing with this shame in and of herself. And she begins to shift it, as you see in this passage. She can't do the one thing that she has to do to fulfill God's promise. So think about it. Having this promise as a 65-year-old woman and 120 months have passed. You know when you're trying to get pregnant, every month matters. 120 disappointing months for Sarah, literally weighing on her the weight of the world and the promise of God. And she's in this impossible situation. So painful to be in a place when you have absolutely no control about something that is so significant, isn't it? So when we get here, we get weary and we get desperate. 
So I want you to put yourself in that frame of mind this, this morning that, that you're, in a, you're in, a, in a position of desperation and you have no control of the future of your life, but you need God to move, but he's not. So verse two, when you pick up on this, is, is eerily like Genesis chapter three, Adam and Eve in the fall. Abram, like Adam, does what? He abdicates his leadership, doesn't he? Sarah makes a suggestion, and uh, he just kind of goes along with it. Adam did the same thing. Sarah, like Eve, steps into the vacuum of leadership and offers an alternate plan that's contrary to God's will. And, and we've said this from day one, that, that we've talked about this, that that's a pattern of what's happening in marriages today. That God has called the men to lead, not in a chauvinistic way, not in an abusive way, not in an aggressive way, but in a servant-hearted, foot-washing kind of way. And then when men lead like this, marriages thrive. When men don't lead like this, marriages suffer. So we see this pattern here in Genesis, and we see it in our community and in some of our homes as well. I don't have time to spend a lot of time on that, but I think it's worth noting. Sarah's idea is that, you know, there's this provision in Near Eastern, Eastern history that's socially acceptable to use the world's solution to solve a problem. But, you know, the, the problem is, is that as a Christian, when you use the world's solution to solve a problem that only God can solve, it always leads to what? Disaster, doesn't it? It always leads to that. There's always consequences and shrapnel that flies from that decision. So Sarah's solution is one that would, would be called surrogate motherhood. It was socially acceptable in the world's eyes to, to marry a servant and for her to bear a child uh, for you. Um, and, 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 and you could, you know, in effect, use someone as a slave to serve your purposes. And I found that that's the world's way of getting things done, isn't it? We see it play out throughout history. Using people, using image bearers of God to serve other image bearers of God. So Abram, what he does is he goes along with it, just like Adam did. And uh, Abram and Hagar conceive a son, and everything is just dandy, isn't it? No, not at all. It's not dandy. Because sin always promises something that it can never deliver. It, it always promises freedom, joy, contentment, adventure, satisfaction. But sin can never give you those things. And we believe it so often that it can, don't we? So what does Hagar do? She, she looks down with contempt on Sarah now. Literally in the Hebrew, Sarah is now of little worth to Hagar. She's of little worth. She's of little standing to Hagar. Finally, Hagar has value in this home. The pain of this tension is probably worse than we could imagine. I mean, think about this. Someone else in your house living out the promise that God gave to you and so she, of course, brings this complaint up to Abram. And she basically says this, hey, Abram, do something about this. Man up, Abram. Do something. And what does Abram do here? It's key. Does he abdicate his role again? He absolutely does. He says, she's your servant. Do as her as you'd wish. Now, with the absence of his leadership, not only does he lead Sarah to a bad place by tempting her to mistreat Hagar, but he also puts vulnerable Hagar in a very bad position 
doesn't he? This is what happens when men don't lead, church. So he sidesteps this incredible opportunity to lead both of them to trust God's truth. I mean, could you imagine him, even after sinning and going along with Sarah's plan, stepping in and saying, hey, Sarah, you're, baby, you're still my bride. You're my one and only. God is gonna come through. Let, let's repent and let's trust God and let's not mistreat Hagar. This is not her fault. But he doesn't do that. Where are everyone's eyes in this scene? They're on the womb, aren't they? They're on the womb. They're, they're fixated on the thing that only God can do. And they're trying to figure out a way to make it happen on their, on their own. And, and I found that whenever we attempt to pursue any of God's blessings in ways that are not fixated on the promise keeper who delivers the promise to us, that we always find ourselves in a place of compromise, trying to get it done on our own. And Abram's on this journey of faith where, where he goes down to Egypt and then the Hagar thing happens, but he also rescues Lot and then he leaves Ur. And it's just this up and down kind of frantic movement. Isn't that how sanctification works? It is. That, that's the normative way of growth in our lives. So my question to you as we, we kind of keep going in this passage here is, is just this. Is, is there a place in your life right now where there is a proverbial womb that is blinding you to the opportunities to walk by faith? You are so fixated on needing something from God that you actually don't seek God in getting it. This could be something like career advancement. You'll do anything to make it happen. It could be a new house. You're just on Zillow all day long, Right? Or, or it could be the stock market. It could be getting your kids a scholarship. It could be people pleasing. It could be some kind of substance abuse where you're just so blinded by getting whatever it is that you don't seek the one who promises to give us everything that we need. Is there a place in your life right now where you are you used to live with this open hand, but now it's, it's closed. And now you're fearful that God might call you to, to stay, to wait, or to stop. And that terrifies you. If you're here this morning, if you're in that place, you might be more blind than you think you are to whatever that proverbial womb is to you that your eyes are just fixated on. And I think... The question we gotta ask ourselves is how do we get out of this? How do you, when, when, you're, when you're blind to sin, how do you see again? In my experience, and in the Bible's narratives, it usually requires a radical intervention of God that's often painful. So let's see what happens in this story here. Second point as we continue in verse, verse seven here. So lostness in sin requires a radical intervention of God. You think about, think about anybody that God's used mightily. This is their story. This is their story. So the, 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 the two ditches that we kind of vacillate between when we experience the consequences of sin or we experience pain in our lives are, are this. We fight it or we flee it, right? Fight or flight. Those are the kind of two ditches. Hagar tried the first option. She tried to fight it. She tried to stay. Now she's moved on to the next one. She's on the run. Uh, and I would say this, everyone that's truly a follower of Jesus, I think, I think knows what it's like to be lost and to be blinded by sin. That, that is a common experience of Christians. 
This is why Jesus rebuked the Pharisees. They didn't have a category for that, to be so needy and desperate for God's grace. They didn't have a category for that, to be in such a place that you cannot get, uh, get, <laughs> get to a place of health on your own. You cannot get to a, a, a place of wholeness on your own, but you need to be rescued. Remember how we talked about as the church, God's called us to pull each other out of the fire? That's why he gives us the church, because we need to be rescued by God. Now, if you've not been in this place before, you may need to look a little bit more closely to your own walk with God, whether it is a walk by faith that's dependent on grace alone. Because in my experience and what the Bible teaches is that those, the, the common experience of the Christian is that we know what it's like to be lost. That's why Paul goes back to it over and over again. So Hagar, I think she knew what it was like to be mistreated, abused, subhuman. And apparently life was so bad for Hagar that she, as a single pregnant Egyptian slave, can you imagine a more vulnerable person? It's so bad that she leaves. And not only does she leave, she goes over 100 miles away. She runs, she gets as close to Egypt as she can. She's running away. And here's where we pick up. Here's what, here's what God does in the middle of this mess. Verse seven, the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring of the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarah. And the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. And the angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. Same promise Abram got. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and you shall bear a son and you shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man. His hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So this Egyptian slave girl, this is best option for her is to be on the run. I got to get out of here. <clears throat> she may have known the God of Abram before, kind of from a, um, a secondary way, like we talked about Lot a few weeks ago. But here she has an encounter. Unlike I, I, arguably any other woman in the Bible has with God. Think about that. Egyptian slave servant has an encounter with God nearly unlike any other woman in the Bible has. Does anyone see this woman? Does anyone see how she's been taken advantage of? Does anyone see the pride that even boiled over in her against Sarah when she became pregnant? Is she all alone? Does anyone see her? The Lord sees her. The Lord hears her. So the angel of the Lord meets her in the middle of her running. And here's the only example in all of the Older Testament that God, through an angel, speaks to a woman by name. Consider that. Not Eve. Not Deborah, the great judge. Not Esther. But Hagar, what does that tell us about who God is? What does that tell us about who he is? He wants to engage with her in genuine dialogue and conversation. 
he doesn't just encounter her and tell her what to do. He says, where have you come from and where are you going? He wants to engage in dialogue with Hagar. What's troubling your soul, Hagar? God wants to know Hagar. And he wants her to know that he knows her. He knows every blow that Sarah inflicted to her. He knows that every time Abram ignored her to keep the peace in the house, he knows every invisible pain of her life that she carried alone. God knew and God heard. It's interesting, kind of going along with this, that every time a woman in the Bible is at a well, they encounter their beloved. Rebecca, we're going to see she's proposed to by a well. Rachel meets Jacob at a well. Moses meets Zipporah at a well. And this is where Hagar meets the lover of her soul, her true husband that will never mistreat her, overlook her, take advantage of her, but see her and know her. It reminds us of Jesus, doesn't it? Remember in John chapter 4, he has this encounter with another foreign woman in Samaria, really not too far from where Hagar's at. Remember that lady in John 4? She was full of shame. She was full of guilt. And so she's drawing water in the middle of the day so that she can avoid being known and seen by the people in the community. She was just such an outcast. But Jesus has this plan. Kind of reminds us of this angel of the Lord that meets Hagar in her running. Jesus goes out of his way through Samaria, something that Jews never did, to meet with this woman in the middle of Samaria. Wells in the Bible, they, they have this spiritual metaphor, I think. They're this place where need meets supply, where uh, they're this place where we see provision and life kind of come together. It's why in the desert there's this well, and it's, it's confusing because it looks like there's no life around, but there's this well, this life that's buried beneath the surface to provide for God's people. Listen to John 4, 13 through 15. Now Jesus says to her, Samaritan woman, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I'll give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty again or have to come here to draw water again. In other words, if it'll take the shame away, give that to me, Jesus. Now, she's still thinking of the physical here, right? But after this, the dialogue continues, and he tells her, he kind of presses down a few more layers in her heart, and he tells her, hey, go get your, your husband, friend. And she says, you know, Jesus, I, I actually don't have one. He says, yeah, that's right. You've had five husbands, and the guy that you, you're with now, you're not even married to. And, uh, and, and she's having this divine encounter, right? And she calls him a prophet, and he declares to her that he is the Messiah, the Christ. And the disciples return from town to, you know, they, they've, they've, they've brought some lunch back, and they return from town. And, and here's what John writes about this scenario. He kind of wraps it up. He says this in John 4, 28 and 29. So the woman left her water jar. In other words... 
she does not want to come back to that life. She does not want to come back to that shame, that guilt, that hidden life of not being known, not being seen, not being heard. And John goes on to write, and he went away into town and said to the people, she said to the people, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? I I talk about this passage probably more than maybe any other narrative with Jesus because it's so significant. It's so significant to the DNA of our church as we seek to be a, a people that are humbled by grace and depending on the Spirit. This woman goes and tells the worst news about herself from a worldly perspective. I'm known, I'm seen, everybody knows my, my dirty laundry. But it's the gospel to her because God sees and he hears and he knows through it. Church, we, it, when we think that we can find life through concealing sin and hiding it, we are living in a deceived notion of what life is. In our flesh, we are tempted to believe that the safest place is in fleeing to the wilderness Drinking at the well when no one else is there. Where where are the places that you run to that you think are much more safer than being seen, heard, and known by God? Is it in hiding your internet history, just deleting it? Is it in your your frantic spending habits? You just just go shop, it just makes retail therapy just makes you feel better. Where are your deepest flaws where you are tempted to believe that there is no hope in this darkness and if anyone knows this, there's no way that I can be loved? Because I love this passage because it uproots that idea. Where is the invisible pain and shame in your life that you're carrying alone today? What if God could know you and care for you even in that space? What if God could do that? What would it do for your soul to have to no longer hide and cover your tracks? Would that change you? To be able to say, come meet a man who knows everything about me. He's seen me, he's heard me in my worst. You gotta meet him. What if that could be your story? It's incredible news for Hagar. The Lord calls Hagar by name, He's identifying with her vulnerability and also saying that he actually knows her. She know, he knows where she's from. He knows her story. And then the promise that she will have this son. And not only this son, but he will also become a great nation. Now, this is where things kind of go sideways with Ishmael. He's, he won't turn out to be a believer, but there's this common grace even involved in his story. He'll have great descendants and he'll be a wild donkey of a man, whatever that is. Just don't say that to your kids. Um, And the Lord says, name him this, name him Ishmael. You know what Ishmael means? God hears. Even his very name, even though he's an unbeliever and he's running wild, is evidence of God's grace to Hagar and even the common grace to Ishmael. Your son's gonna be wild and he's gonna cause a lot of problems in the world and with my people, but I'm still gonna bless him. That's the God we serve, church. One that sees and one that hears. And so he tells her, go back home and trust that I am greater than the problems that you're going to face with Abram and Sarah. And she will face more problems. Just in two chapters, we'll get to it. But church, when we're blinded in sin and we can't walk by faith, the Lord has to radically intervene. Sometimes he does that um, 
through exposing us in very painful ways. Sometimes he does that very gently with a beloved brother or sister that leans in to our lives. But when the, the only thing, but, but when we can't see what it looks like to walk by faith, God seems to always love us more than we love our hiding because he exposes us. How would your interpretation of what, whatever the mess is in front of you today, whatever it is that you're maybe fixated on, whatever, it, whatever you're thinking God is not doing, how would your perspective change if you knew that God sees and hears when he seems silent and blind? Would it, would it change your perspective to know that he calls you by name even in the midst of that? He knows the number of hairs that you have on your head in the midst of that. Would it change how you see it? So what happens next with Hagar's story? Here's our last point. Only a God who sees can enable us to see past our problems. Let's read these last three verses here. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke, spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, he, he called, therefore, the well was called um, Bir Lehi Rohi. It lies between Kadesh and Barad. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. You know, when you have an encounter with God, there's always a response. There's always a response to it. It's no different with Hagar. This, this is the only time in the Old Testament that someone gives God a name. Did you hear that? It's the only time in the Old Testament where someone gives God a name. Hagar, this Egyptian slave girl who doesn't belong in God's family, gives God a name. And God speaks to this Egyptian slave girl, Gentile, and she gives his son a name, and, and, and he is El-Rohi El to her, the God who sees. I never want to forget this truth, that if God sees her, he certainly sees us. So this, this well, which was a landmark, right? I mean, we, we've, talk, we've seen trees are landmarks, you know, the oaks of Mamre, we keep coming back to those, I mean... It's like, you know, the, the, the square in Lawrenceville or whatever. Well, this well, the source of life, it becomes known as Beir, uh, Beir Lehi Rohi, which means this, well of him who lives and sees me. Church, that's the gospel. Well of him who lives, who, who, who lives and sees me. In other words, he's a God who is alive and he can do something about my life because he's alive. Who is Hagar that God should know her? Who are we that God should be mindful of us? It's, it's all grace, isn't it? It's only when you know grace that you can see through the circumstances to the one who holds your life. Hagar's told to return, to submit, and to live humbly. That's a hard call, isn't it? Some of you have really hard calls in life right now. 
you're under the weight of God's call in your life, and it seems unbearable for some of you in this room right now. It's only possible for Hagar to do what she's about to do because God knows her, and his grace is on her life. She's following the God who sees. She's not following her own sight. Grace changes our identity. It changes us on the inside, and then it changes how we live. It changes our behavior, our activity. That's the the movement of grace. Hagar was known, yet she wasn't rejected by God. Her worth is not in her womb. Her worth is no longer in one-upping Sarah. She is now a beloved child of God. Known by God, seen by God, heard by God, rescued by God, loved by God, protected by God, and now sent by God as an agent of grace to Abram's family. Think about that. And yet, on its face, she has no part with God's family. She doesn't belong. That's how grace transforms your life. Nothing else can transform you like God's grace can. How will you have the strength to see beyond your biggest concerns and problems right now? Obstacles or even shame in your own life. It's only by knowing the God who sees, El Rohi. That's the only way. I was just talking to my mom last Sunday and, and you know, she's been a Christian for a while now and she was just telling Megan and I, um, she said, you know, <clears throat> I've known about grace for a long time. I've known about it for a long time. But she said, this is the first time I'm actually experiencing God's grace. And it's, it's surfacing the shame and the guilt. And it's putting it in its place. And so my question to you is, do you know grace? Or do you know grace? Because if you know grace, sure, you'll have eternal life. But if you know grace you'll have life right now. And that's what God wants for all of us. Let's pray together. Father, thank you um, for your word. Thank you for the story of this Egyptian slave girl who is who we are, God. We are the people who don't belong. Uh, We are the, the, the people who have gotten ourselves into so much trouble. We are the people who have tried to find our own way out of our trouble. And you are the God who has pursued us exposed us, loved us, and given us life. And so our anthem now, Lord, is that we follow El-Rohi, the God who sees. We follow the God who hears. We follow the God who transforms us by grace. And so, Lord, I just, I just want to sit in that this morning. I want to know that more fully. I want to know that more deeply that all those times, all those moments that I thought you didn't see, that I thought you didn't hear, that I thought you didn't care, and I thought you didn't know, that all of that was a lie. And so, Father, would you help us this morning? Sit before you, wait on you, and trust in you because there's no solution of man that can accomplish the will of God. It's only your grace. And you were bound and determined 
for Abram to walk by it, for Sarah to walk by it, for Hagar to walk by it, for Ryan and Megan and Roman and Maggie and Tatum and Caden to walk by it, God. So would you help us to do that today? It's in Jesus' name, amen.